reading this morning is taken from John 9, and it happens when Jesus is on one of his walkabouts, and he heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with a saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees who also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. And they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. 
Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. theme I chose, I was given the passage, the theme I chose was believing is seeing, question mark. Believing is seeing. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word which endures forever. It is the truth. And Lord, we pray now that even in a passage which is quite familiar, you will speak new things into our hearts. Lord, let it be your words, not mine. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we reminded ourselves of um, the last verse, or more or less the last verse in John's Gospel, uh, where we read... John, 20, sorry, John 21, 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So I think it's reasonable that we ask ourselves why this particular miracle, this giving of sight, should have been included in the assembly uh, of, uh, of the word by John under the influence of the Holy Spirit, um, remembering that it is the inspired word of God. We don't have just a, uh, a philosophy book. It's an inspired word of God. So there needs to be a reason for everything that's written down, and that's our uh, desire, is to understand what God is saying to us through it. So what's, I say unique, it is unique in this particular passage um, where we read of the man born blind being given his sight. Well, the first point is that it was unsolicited grace. In all the other uh, times within the Gospels where we read about people receiving sight, receiving their sight from Jesus, they were all solicited. They came to Jesus and, and asked him to restore their sight. And you remember the, the case of blind Bartimaeus? 
he pleaded with Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And we read in, we read in Matthew's gospel about the two men which were, uh, who were um, given their sight. Matthew 9 and verse 27, we'll just read it. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked, he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done. So was that not an example of believing and then seeing? Now in the passage from John 9 that Julie kindly read for us, as I said, it's the only occasion where, uh, when Jesus was not approached to be he for help with sight. Rather, um, on this occasion, um, he was having a walkabout. I think it was a nice expression of, uh, uh, of Julie's. He was walking around with his disciples, um, and uh, they observed this unfortunate man, described specifically as blind from birth, something which is worth just holding in our minds. He was blind from birth. Why was blind, blindness such a, uh, such a serious issue for them? Well, it's probably worth just remembering that those who were blind and otherwise disabled um, in the Old Testament were excluded from uh, coming into the holy place and uh, to draw near to the altar of the Almighty. And you can read about that in Leviticus 21. So it was a serious issue for them, not just an, a, a pretty serious disability. Um, and it was seen as a curse um, and, uh, and indeed um, a curse on the family. Um, and I just wanted to touch here on this business of disability. Um, because it, it gives us some insight into attitudes towards disability. It's very common uh, to be ashamed or even despise people with disabilities. Um, one or two of us here, um, I know David's been involved, but Mark's not here, I think, today, um, uh, have been involved with a charity called Wheels for the World, um, where we uh, used to take wheelchairs out to missions in Africa. Um, and in our particular uh, case, it was to Kenya. And we noticed that in the time with the mission there that although the community knew that, um, they, uh, uh, that the wheelchairs were coming and there was help for disabled people, they frequently didn't bring them out, especially children. They didn't bring them out. They kept, kept them in their houses because they were ashamed. Um, and um, and uh, it, the, the mission had to go around helping them to say, well, come, bring them, bring them, because we've got help for you. History reminds us that attitudes to disabled people 
were quite radically different at one time. Uh, you know that the Nazis were very keen to dispose of disabled people um, and uh, likewise eugenicists. If our eyes are open, these things are not so far below the surface in our society today. It does require vigilance. And I suggest to you that this attitude is actually an outworking of Darwinian evolution. And a modern day example, which I will touch on, is you may or may not be aware that laws restraining abortion include the fact that abortion is permitted up to birth for those who are, who are thought to have Down syndrome or a cleft palate or a um, uh, club foot. Discrimination against disabled people. But this is not the way Jesus sees it. He's asked, isn't he, here, um, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus didn't see that, didn't agree with that. He sees the situation as written in the Bible, that mankind is fallen, human um, nature is fallen. And these examples of disability are uh, an outworking of the fallenness of humankind. So Jesus' response in verse 3 was, no, it's not a matter of sin. And you will be familiar that there's a verse in, in Romans which says, uh, Jesus, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he doesn't see that at all. Sin is, is, is different. This is, they're all loved by God. Um, and, uh, and he then goes on to say, this person has, as it were, come into our field so that the power of God, the works of God, might be revealed in him. It doesn't, wasn't just a coincidence, what I like to call a God incident. Um, the whole purpose of Jesus meeting and his, and his disciples meeting with this blind man was to show the works of God. Now, if we can extend this thinking a little bit towards evangelism, might we be asking, when we have a chance to go out, when there's somebody around, might we be asking, how might the works of God be displayed in the people we meet? How might the works of God be displayed in the people we meet? And we know that the greatest work of God of all is when an unbeliever is born again. We had a good talk about being born again last Sunday. Being born again. Jesus' task while he was in the world was to show that he was the light of the world. Now, this man who he met had been in darkness all of his life. 
he can't have had any concept of light and colors, of, of the beauty of creation. He'd been in darkness all his life. So what a spectacular change Jesus was about to bring him. Just a little thought about that business of conversion. What a change is from darkness to light. The previous chapter in John's Gospel, we can read about um, the woman who was caught in adultery. And you, you will probably remember that what happens is that a lot of the authorities and people wanted to come along and stone her. And Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And we know what came of that. They just drifted away until Jesus was on his own with this woman who he then released. Now, it just seemed to me here, when Jesus said, or he just said after, uh, the, the, soon after that passage, he says, I am the light of the world. And it struck me that um, when Jesus is present, sinfulness becomes evident. Um, and that is why all the accusers um, dispersed, because the presence of Jesus was there, showing up sinfulness. So people, admit, whether they admit it or not, they knew in their hearts. So how was it when we accepted Jesus into our own lives? Have we been conditioned to accept sinfulness as okay? I think we all ought to challenge ourselves on this one because Jesus said from darkness to light. And in Ephesians 5, Paul makes, specifies what the features of darkness are. Immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, bad language, etc. And in verse 8 we read, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So, it was an unsolicited miracle. Perfect gift of grace. And next we come to a process which had to be obeyed. What Jesus did when, we, when he met this person, this man, he, the man was an adult, likely to have been begging, and up comes Jesus, presumably out of nowhere as far as he was concerned, as far as the blind man was concerned, we don't even know whether he or not he heard Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And anyhow, even if he had, what would it have meant to him? Then Jesus spits on the ground and makes some mud. Well, you say, well, why spit on the ground? Well, I mean, I can only 
suggest that there wasn't any water around. And um, the verse then, verse 6, it says, as uh, Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Well, there's much there, but I suggest that the si a simple message that we can take from that is that I've got to do the work while it's in front of me. And here he was in front of him. So um, Jesus put this mud on the guy's eyes. Um, I don't know. I wonder how I might have been. How, mi how might you have been? If you're with your eyes closed, you can't see anything, and suddenly, suddenly somebody comes up to you and smears mud on your eyes. Um, I'd have been a little bit upset, perhaps, but he wasn't. He didn't appear to be. So I can only suggest that the presence of Jesus brought that level of peace with him. And he might have said, why should I go to this pool? Why should I go to this pool of Siloam? And we don't know how far it was away, but um, if we imagine perhaps that Jesus met him in the temple area, then the indication is that it would have been something like 500 yards for the guy to go. But obedience, he obeyed. He obeyed and then he could see. So the presence of Jesus must have brought that sense of, yes, this is right. It worked. Jesus had given sight after a light lifetime of darkness. But all he knew was what he'd been told. Wash in the pool of Siloam. And now he could see. He only knew Jesus' name. He didn't even know where he'd gone. I mean, I guess that the guy received his sight, probably rather overwhelmed, um, and then went home. But anyhow, there's an act of obedience. Jesus came and the guy obeyed and he, and he received his sight. So light had come into the life of this man. How, how then, third point, how was he received after this miracle? Again, I think we can draw some inf important information out of this. Was it a comfortable journey for him? Was it comfortable? All he knew is that he got his sight and he hadn't got it before. He only knew Jesus' name, but nothing else. Of course he was delighted that such a wonderful thing had happened. Wouldn't you be? You might expect that his family, friends, neighbours might have shared in his joy. But did they? Far from it. Response to a miracle. One, scepticism. Some didn't even believe he was the same person. And I would suggest that today, when we have that joy of being born again, and I have to say it was over 40 years <laughs> for me, but nevertheless, when that joy comes, especially on people who have had a 
particularly notable conversion, there's skepticism around. So skepticism, two, rejection. The authorities, in this case it was the Pharisees, rejected everything to do with it. It didn't fit with their worldview. And this sort of thing shouldn't happen on a Sabbath, not doing it the way that we do it. So altogether, rejection. And this is something which we'll find today, and I'll come on to it a little bit in a while. Um, thirdly, third effect, division. In verse 16, we can see that they're suggesting that Jesus was a sinner. Pharisees are saying, well, he must be a sinner because he's done this on a Sabbath. But others who, if I may say so, exercise more common sense, um, said, well, how can it be that a sinner can open somebody's eyes like this? How could God use a sinner for such a miracle? So there was division. Division. Sinner, not sinner. Was he the right man? Not the right man. How does he see? Division. Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. This passage goes on to talk about how, how households are divided among themselves, father against son, mother against daughter, etc. This is what Jesus was saying. So, in a sense, this was just evidence of what he was said, what he was saying. What is it that makes the world, uh, uh, sorry, makes the works and the word of God so divisive? I thought to myself, what is this division? Where does it come from? Well, it comes from humankind, I, I suggest. We think we know better. We know how to save the world, whether it's climate or health or economics. We know how to do it. God says, your ways are not my ways. He is the one who created our, our world, us and everything in it, it's his ways that are the right ways. But woe betide these days, woe betide Christians, Christian believers, who question the human worldview. In some sense, the video we saw earlier touches on that. Woe betide them. But it reminded us that God is always with us. Jesus is always with us. So if we dare to question the official narrative, then um, we can be cancelled, can't we, on Twitter or Facebook because we dare to question the received narrative, the world's narrative. The rejection suffered by this previously blind man is, I believe, a picture of what we see in our world around us today. 
we questioned, we, the God works miraculously. We said, well, it's a, it's a work of God and we'll get backlash. Um, the narrative is something different. We may suggest lovingly that homosexual practice, for example, precludes a person from the kingdom of God. Or marriage is between a man and a woman. What sort of what storm will that stir up in these days? You may have noticed that we skipped a, a bit of the middle of this passage um, because of time, so we didn't read that bit. But it's talking about how the authorities called in the parents of this man, and they said, "What is it? You know, wh what are you? Wh what's happened to him? Is he the right person?" Now. What was their response? Their response was, well, we know it's our son, and we can see that he, he now can see, but we don't know anything about it. They didn't want to know anything about it. They washed their hands of it. Why? Because they were worried about being put out of the synagogue, so basically excluded from, well, I suppose nowadays we might say mainstream society, but uh, they were worried about being cut off and losing their privileges. So... I would suggest that today, scripture, scripture is saying to us, be alert. As God is progressively excluded from our society in these days, godless, godless humanists will reject the light of the world. They will persecute his followers. We haven't been promised an easy journey, but we have been promised a very fulfilling one with a blessing beyond anything we can imagine at the end. Um, I've just finished reading a rather lengthy book about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German minister before the war, and he ended up, he, he stood firmly against the Nazi regime, um, uh, and he ended up being executed only two weeks before uh, the concentration camp where he'd been locked up was, uh, um, was liberated. Um, and uh, at that time, uh, the, the word of God was excluded from society. They would not accept the word as it's written. Um, and, of course, there's a lot to say there. But it's likewise today in communist countries, uh, China, North Korea, etc. Um, if you stick with the word of God, you will be rejected. So um, I, I do believe that... Christians today, we need to look and be aware of what is happening. What is happening, not out there, but even in our own country. Um, I, I say praise God for, for strong, living, God-fearing churches in, uh, right across this land. But we will need to be secure. We all need to be secure uh, in our faith in Christ. It's that security. We've heard plenty of fear. We've been having fear-mongering for the last two and a half years. But what's the answer to fear? Jesus Christ in our hearts. So we've talked about unsolicited grace. We've talked about simple obedience. We've talked about the reaction of, uh, uh, to this miracle. Um, and now I've come on to this matter of security. So we can go back to this chapter, chapter 9 of and was this guy 
who'd, been, who'd received his sight, was he secure? How did it end for him? Well, Jesus did not leave him with his sight, but in a rejected state. He found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I think in some senses he, he meant, well, do you believe in the Son of God as, as he is present here as a man? And the confused man just said, who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus reveals his identity. He sees and believes. But I think there was a little bit of believing first, and then a seeing, and then more believing. And I, th I guess that's probably the, the past path for most of us. Believing or seeing, seeing or believing. Um, that's my testimony. I believed first. I was asked, challenged about who I thought Jesus was. And if I thought that he was the son of God, and I couldn't conceive any other, any other uh, alternative, um, then it must, I must take the fact that he died for me, that I might have eternal life seriously. Um, and so I think it's a question of believing a bit and then seeing. Um, and as we believe, we see and we look into the word of God, Jesus reveals himself progressively more and more. Hopefully, all of us who believe in Jesus as our Savior and Lord can give such a testimony. Uh, we have recognized our sins and accepted Christ as our Savior. Then allow Jesus to meet us through his word and progressively we see him more clearly. Our faith and our security is built up in him. But if anybody has doubts on that one, um, I would... Uh, Please ask you, and I'm sure that our deacons would, would agree with me, if anybody has doubts about faith in Jesus Christ and how it, it is totally necessary for our lives, please do come and pray afterwards, because we'd love to pray. So believers become seers. The chapter here ends with a challenging conclusion. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. The Pharisees were quite upset at Jesus' suggestion that, that they might be blind. But what does Jesus say? If you were blind, you would not be guilty, guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So if we as Christians deny the lordship of Jesus and doubt the word of God, then think about what Jesus said. If you claim you see, um, uh, if, you, if, you, if you claim you can see um, and yet deny that, then your guilt remains. Remember that Jesus rebuked the Laodicean church for, among other things, blindness. And may God help us not to focus on the worldly things and to succumb to fear, but to see the light of the world and his purposes. Let us pray.
Dear Lord Jesus.